Let us turn our Bibles to Matthew 16. Um, we continue this series on how we, we transition to detoxing. How do we detox? God has taught me a lot this week on this message today. How do we detox toxic situations? Can't say that uh, this, we can do everything in this passage today, but I pray we can learn a lot from his experience, Christ's experience. He says, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God, forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, exclamation point. And he says, you are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you don't exempt yourself from this. You engage us in how things were for you how you managed it and what you could teach us about it. So that in difficult situations, we learn how to work our way through it, even when it becomes worse before it's better. So God, we ask you to guide this, especially in a time when our communities and our cities, our states are in a toxic situations. There's much disparity in everything that seems to take place. So, God, how do we be salt and light in it when sometimes we feel we need to be salted? We pray this in the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. You may be seated. What do you do when life is toxic in every area of your life? What I mean by that is sometimes life is toxic on your job. It's toxic sometimes in a church. It's toxic in our communities, in our society. It's toxic in our homes. And your life sometimes can have that much difficulty that you're experiencing, exposed to all at one time. Sometimes it's not that you get it a little bit at a time. It's as if somebody says, which sometimes we used to do playing ball, and that is we would say, the person says, pass me the ball. And a bunch of people will just throw a bunch of balls at them all at one time. So that the person is going, okay, all right, all right, guys. You know, because the person is hogging the ball. They're not passing the ball around. So because of that, all those who were playing with that person decide to throw all the balls at them to get them a message like, hey, start passing the ball. You asked for the ball, well, here's the balls. And they just threw a bunch at them. Sometimes we don't know which ball to catch. We don't even know where to start. Because it's happening at all at one time. It's coming. Sometimes it's health issues. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's not even external. Sometimes it's internal. Sometimes it's internal in the sense that people around us are passing away. And we are having to deal with that loss. 
not just job losses, not just psychological issues, not just issues dealing with family issues. Sometimes we got to deal with the loss of somebody that we care about deeply. Sometimes it's that drastic. The question is, how do we detox something that is that toxic? And that's what Christ teaches us in this text. What Christ teaches us in this text is the fact that he is going to a tough situation that he describes. He's dealing with an internal issue, Peter, and he is dealing with his own struggle. What do you mean by that? He goes to the garden to get seven and spend all night. So he's dealing with the struggle of let this cup pass from me. What does he mean by that? He didn't say let the cross pass for me. He said let the cup pass for me. So you got to track the word cup. And when you track the word cup, it leads you to the fact that cup means wrath. Let your wrath pass from me. The wrath. I don't want the beep beating. I don't want the spitting. I, I don't want all this stuff that you're going to let take place on me. I go to the cross. I've accepted it. As a matter of fact, he talked about it so much. The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew he's going to die and raise from the dead. They knew that. That's why they started this lie all over Jerusalem. So it's not that they didn't know. They knew because he talked about it that much. The issue was the cup. So not only does he have to deal with the external, not only has to deal with his own group of, of disciples, he has to deal with an internal issue as a, as a man. He has to deal with that attached to this cross. So his situation was very toxic. And he understands when ours get that way, where we struggle internally, externally, in family issues, all these different things, and it could come all at the same time because we thought we can carry the ball. So God throws us a bunch of them. Understand, folks, in verse 21 of chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, he teaches us that the first thing we must hold to is being sober, is being sober-minded, sober-minded. I want you to spend this time with me because Jesus Christ is going to teach us how in the world did he stay sober-minded so when it's required of us to stay sober-minded in the midst of this, how do we do that? How do we stay sober? In other words, if we don't stay sober and we become just as polluted as the situations around us, then we are the toxic issue. He is not. So understand how do we stay sober. I understand Jesus Christ is powerful. He is God. He doesn't have any issues. He's always functioning productively. I understand that. But you got to remember he's fully human at the same time. He is fully human and he's showing us his humanity. He's showing it to us. He is going to the Garden of Gethsemane, begging people to stay and pray with him. His humanity. How are you going to have a direct relationship with God and still ask people to pray with you? Why do you need people to pray with you when you actually talk in the face of God? He's telling us his humanity. So we can't forget his humanity in this text when he is dealing with the pain of what he's about to, de show, about to develop here. Now understand how do you stay sober is attached to this issue. He says it right here. You have to accept all that God gives you to do. You have to accept it. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 21. For that time, in other words, Jesus Christ is saying from this time I'm heading to die. You can't stop this. You can't stop your trials. You can't start your trials. It's in God's hands. Please remember that. I will give you trials. I will give you trials. I'd rather God give me trials than anybody else. Why? God knows what I can bear. God knows what he has equipped me to deal with. 
I, God is the one who has prepared me for what's ahead. I would rather a teacher give me an exam that has been teaching me all semester than a substitute who just showed up in class and wrote up an exam right before class. Because the teacher know what they were teaching. The teacher know what textbook information they were communicating. The teacher knows all of that. Whereas the substitute who choose not to talk to the teacher may give me whatever. But the teacher could give me the best test that I can get, take. Jesus Christ is the teacher. He says, I'm your teacher. So he's the best person to give this trial. So he says the time has come. So please understand, the Bible would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, that when God finds it necessary, he gives us trials. It's right there in 1 Peter. Matter of fact, it wouldn't hurt you to turn to it. He says, when I see things are necessary, I can't tell you every minute when God sees it necessary, I jump up and go, thank you, Jesus, I just wanted this trial. I am glad about this trial. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that I feel that way because I don't. But he said, count it joy. In other words, he's not saying feel it. He's saying have an attitude of acceptance of it. That's what the word joy means. Have an attitude that when I choose to give you this trial, you go ahead and take it on. Focus on me making you more productive, me growing you even more. Take it on with that attitude. Don't take it on like, oh, man, I'm sick of this. And no, no, take it on that you got to work your way through it and make it happen. That's what count it joy. Reckon with your attitude. That's what he's saying. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, when he finds it necessary, look down to verse 5. He says this, he says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this we greatly rejoice, even for, though it's for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, if necessary, Jesus Christ and God sees this, the word necessary means there's something lacking, so therefore I have to fill this need. Man is sinful, going to die, so there is a need. So since there is a need, you need to go do what I tell you to do, Jesus Christ, so this is necessary. So in other words, the first thing that we have to recognize when we're going to be sober-minded and do what God says, no matter what we feel, deny yourself, pick up a cross, pick up a cross, pick up a cross, not just deny yourself. The Bible is saying we must see that God has said that this is necessary, so I need to take it on. I need to go forward with it because God has allowed it. I don't need to back up and find safe places. I need to get into the fight and work my way through it because he saw it as necessary. Here's the next thing you see in this text in Matthew chapter 16. Back there, he says, I'm, he, says he, must, he showed his disciples. I will show my disciples. It took me a while to understand how you're going to show. What I mean by that is if you're going to show, you will go down to Jerusalem, take the beating, get on the cross, then look at them and say, this is what's going to happen. Come down from the cross and then say, okay, this is what I'm trying to show you. Or put them in a vision or a miracle up in their face so they could see everything taking place in the heavens. And then when they see everything taking place in the skies, like he would show Paul and everybody else that he gave that view, then he comes back down and says, now you got a picture. But he doesn't do that. He says he showed them. What he is saying to them is that I'm giving you every detail. That's what the word show means. I'm literally giving you the character of how this is going to be. And he's telling them who is going to do this. The elders, the, the scribes, uh, the, the high priests, and the scribes. 
These three leadership groups will do this, which makes no sense to people like Peter then. It makes no sense. Because they didn't know that Judas was Judas until after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had no clue. They thought Judas was a good man the whole time. That's how deceitful people can be. They can literally convince you they're good. And they're good people. It's not until God opens your eyes could you see that they're not. So understand, they, they don't see the scribes and Pharisees. They go to the temple to worship. They go to the temple as Jews to do what they're supposed to do. And who they're taking their sacrifice to? High priests. Who they're assuming is helping their family's sins forgiven? High priests. So to put high priests in there is definitely crazy. You don't want to put high priests in there. So they, And he's explaining the very nature of how this happens, the very nature. In other words, I mean, he's telling them the kind of whipping he's going to get. He's telling them how aggressive they're going to be towards him. He's telling them about the cross. He's giving them the very character, the very nature of every detail of what's going to take place. What does that mean? Jesus accepted what's ahead of him. He accepted it. He accepted that God has to do what God has to do. I'm going to ask that he remove this cup from me, but I accept that that is his will. I accept it. If I don't accept the will of God for my life, and this is what God has for my life, it is hard to stay sober because I'm trying to get out of it rather than stay in it for the purposes that he wants me to stay in it because I'm more focused on my will than his will. I don't like my feelings in it. I don't like how messed up it makes me feel. I don't like how frustrated it makes me feel. So what I want to do is to get rid of the issue and go about my life. And God is saying, no, you have to first learn to not just accept my timing and see it as necessary you must accept everything I'm going to throw your way and stay in it. If you're going to stay sober, you must accept my will. If you're going to stay sober. Look at this next thing. Because many times the reason why we don't stay sober in issues is when our emotions are going everywhere. Because you can't say Christ's emotions wasn't. He's in the garden of Gethsemane all night. He is crying so hard that his body begins to start to excrete blood. You can't, the intensity of what he feels is greater before the cross than during his crucifixion. During his crucifixion, he's quiet. During his crucifixion, he's taking a whipping. During his crucifixion, he's taking a beating. But before the crucifixion, he is bleeding blood in a prayer. So it was more painful before than it was during. Understand, he, under, he felt the pain. So it's not that he didn't feel the pain, he just said no. This is the will of God. He sees it as necessary. I must submit to how intense this is and accept it that this is a circumstance that God allowed me to be in and grow through it. If it means my prayer life is going to change. When my prayer partners go to sleep. So he describes the very nature of it to people who basically became useless. I want to get to that in a minute. There's people around us that don't accept nothing we're going to do or feel or say. So basically they become useless to you. Become useless to you. Watch this carefully. He's going to say here. He's not compromising any of this. He says, and the scribes, and the scribes will kill me. Watch this carefully, but I'm going to raise up. I'm going to raise up. I'm going to suffer 
many things. That's why I say sometimes our suffering, we want it to be this today and that tomorrow. Many times it's not. It's a whole bunch at one time. And we don't like it when it's a whole bunch at one time, when it's that toxic. We don't like it. So God is saying it's toxic before you detox. So life is toxic. Everywhere you go, toxic. But at least deal with the toxicity so I can teach you how to detox. But if you don't face all the toxicity, I can't teach you all the detoxing processes. You know, it's hard, you know, it's hard to get a person to even be productive in counseling, especially when there's drug counseling, if they don't accept they're an addict. If they can't accept that they're an addict... It's hard to get them to detox. I'm not an addict, man. I just do it when I want to do it. I, 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 you know, I, I can take it on when I want to take it on. I can turn it off when I want to turn it off. Y- y'all are making the ones making a big issue about it. I can stop smoking when I want to smoke. Many times I've talked to people who smoke marijuana who say that. I can stop anytime. I just smoke it to calm down. I just smoke it to do what I feel good because I get a hard day at work. This calms me down. This makes me feel good. But if I didn't get that hard day at work, I'm good. I don't have to smoke it. I don't smoke it until I want to smoke it. They can't admit that they are addicted. Until a person accepts that they're addicted, you can't fix nothing. Because they're always making excuses. Well, I just took it because I was going through a hard time. They don't say, hey, you know what? I messed up because I have an issue that I, the first thing I think about is to run to those drugs. I don't think to work through anything. I don't think to fix anything. I don't think to find an alternative to my life. When I'm stressed, I think to go to my help, my drugs. They can't get them to think that way. So we have to, when we don't get a person to think that way, you can't get them through something. Christ says you have to accept the toxicity of the situation before you could talk about how you detox it. And you have to accept it as the will of God to be in it. No matter how fired up it makes you. That's why before we did this, I talked about through the fire. Because sometimes it will make you upset. Sometimes it will make you feel frustrated. Jesus Christ turned tables upside down. He did. Can't say that Jesus Christ didn't get mad at what was going on in the temple. It's right there. He turned tables upside down. So he is not saying to the person, he says, just don't sit in it. Because it's highly toxic. Watch this carefully. He says this, and I love this, because you got to remember this in this story, because the reason why I have to remember this story is because Peter don't pay no attention to it. He says, I will go through these things, but I will raise from the dead. Peter don't hear that. This is very important in this, in this story. You could go past it because we know he's raised from the dead because we are after the fact. We're not in the issue. So it's easy for us to go, oh, yes, he rose from the dead. We're here today. But to be in this issue, hearing what's going on, Knowing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests have been looking for Christ, that's why every place he's been to prior to going to Jerusalem is outside the city, which fulfills an Old Testament that the Lamb was released into the wilderness and because Jesus Christ as the Lamb is coming from the wilderness. Because the toxicity in Jerusalem was so high against him, he couldn't go into Jerusalem, so the disciples know that he's making sense. Not like they don't know he's making sense, because they know the toxicity is high in Jerusalem. They're not going to Jerusalem that much anymore until they go to church and then they go right back out that's it because the pharisees sadducees scribes high priests and everybody is looking to kill him they are looking so he stayed out so for him to even say he's going into the city is driving the disciples crazy so understand they miss this point i will raise from the dead 
You got to watch the words carefully. Watch the words carefully. And he raised up on the third day. He gives specificity to it because he's showing. He's giving very quick statements that hold a lot of water. He says, I will raise again. It means once and for all, in the Greek text, it means once and for all, I'm getting up. Who is getting up? I am. I, watch this carefully, watch the words, and be raised again. He didn't say, and I will raise myself again, even though he says that in John chapter 10. I be raised again. I be who I be. I be raised again. The Bible is saying God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all involved in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Now please understand, he is saying, when I face toxic situations because God sees it as necessary, I accept it, that that is his will, that I go through it, then God is the one going to give me the victory because everything depends on him to give me the victory. It doesn't depend on me. Why? I accept his will. Secondly, I am I'm, I'm submitting to his will. Third, I'm accepting all the toxicity that is going to be brought against me because I know that he will not give me something that is not necessary. I accept all of it. So who is depending on, who is it depending on to get me through it? Him, not me. That's why I say to you all the time, you don't fight to control results. You fight to surrender your will to him because nobody controls results. We always try to kill ourselves to control results. You can't control results. Results are in the hands of God. What you can control is say, God, am I going to submit my will to yours or am I not? That is it. That's all we're in control of. And the minute I surrender my will to him, it becomes his responsibility to deliver me. Not my responsibility, his. His 7,000 promises that he has given in the Bible now depends on that. It is out of his word that he's going to bring this out. So therefore, I could actually read his word and learn from his word what he's going to do in the long run. I could actually learn what he's going to do. You're not hiding it in a secret. That's why he's using the word show. I reveal it to you. Second Peter chapter 1, I give you everything you need for life and godliness. I could show it to you. Like I was telling somebody, yes, this world is crazy and it's difficult. But what we don't understand is that God has already talked about it. I don't understand why we're looking at the world going, oh my God, why is it getting this way? Romans 1. Oh my God, why is all these plagues and all these crazy things? Matthew 24. I was like, I, li I can literally take you to the scriptures and show you why everything is taking place like it's taking place in this time, in this moment, in this time, in, in our circumstances. It's no surprise. God is trying to show us what we're going to experience. Show us what is coming our way. If we just listen, we would rather listen to somebody who keeps changing the narrative. One day they're going to tell you, accept this. Another day they're going to tell you, that is, this is what you need to do. We got some new information that we need to tell you about, and that's why you need to believe this. And I'm going, he he never writes two or three or four Bibles. He doesn't come up with two or three versions. He wants one Bible. When he finished writing one Bible, it's good for all time. Because the story is the same because he knows what's going to happen. 2,000 years from now, he could tell us what's happening. The good, a good book to go to to learn this is the book of Daniel. He could tell you that, he could tell you that Neapolitan is coming and he came 600 years later and he fought exactly like he said he's going to fight in the book of Daniel. 
He could say that 600 years before it happened. You could read Isaiah 51, 53. Jesus Christ is going to die. You could go all the way to Genesis chapter 3 of how Jesus Christ is going to die. He's going to tell you he's going to die. He doesn't have to write 50,000 Bibles. He could write one because he is the truth. And truth don't change. Anytime somebody got to change their story, it's not the truth. That's why he says this, the toxicity polluted the disciples. It didn't pollute him. Let me show you how the toxicity polluted the disciples. Look at verse 21, 22. In verse 22, Peter took him to the side. I like that stuff. I like that. Peter actually wasn't like being overly arrogant. He's actually following the principles of his day. The, the principles of the day say, that if you're going to take your, uh, go against, uh, speak something that against what your teacher is saying, you cannot do that in public. What you need to do is to take your teacher, your rabbi, to the side and explain to him where he's wrong. So when he comes to teach the people, he don't go teaching the people what is wrong because that's how you serve your rabbi. So technically, even though it seems arrogant, it, it, it's something Peter is following even though it's still arrogant. I mean, I hope that makes sense. Peter is following what people said in his day. He's actually trying to say, you can't be saying this publicly, so let me fix you to say it right. So when you go publicly, you get it right. And that's what people expect me to do to help you out. And since God just told me that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, there's a second part you see comes into his attitude and his pride. He says... I need to teach you because God just said, I am Peter. On upon this rock, I'll build this church. So Peter took him to the side. <laughs> I, I, I like that. There's a third reason why I like that in a sense. Because this is sometimes what people do. They sometimes think they know so much about church that they could teach their pastor. You know how many times I've been taken to the side? It's funny how God would call a person, shows that he has his hand on that person, but instead of seeking to give a person advice, they need to correct the person. It's interesting how I can't respect the fact that God in his sovereign will made that decision to anoint that person for that position to do that particular job. It's not an arrogant thing. I'm only, I have to be a servant teacher. I have to be a shepherd. So I'm, I got to serve and lead. I can't just lead. I have to serve and lead. So it, there's times when you take care of sheep in their worst states, and there's times when you lead them. It, it's a constant thing. So it's not an arrogant thing. If a person really is called to ministry, they'll be a servant leader. But here is an example of how sometimes things could become so toxic in a church that they think they got to fix the preacher. Well, watch this carefully. He says this. Peter took him aside for those three reasons. There's three reasons why he could do it. I'm going to give you the third reason why. The first reason is because that's the situation of his day. The second reason, pride rose up in him because he got a few verses from God. You know, like some people start learning some Bible. They got to teach you. you don't, don't let them go to Bible college. It gets worse. Okay? Let me go to Bible college. It gets worse. The toughest people I've ever had trouble with at Living Word are preachers. Bluntly speaking. Toughest. Can't teach them. 
Because they went there, especially when they get a seminary degree. Oh, my God. He said he took them to the side. He says this. He took him to the side, and he says to him, God, I gotta, I'll rebuke you. That's the, that's the pride popped in. Uh, first, when he did it, it's cultural. Second, when he did it, pride. It's actually working this out in the verse. It's pride. And third, while he does it, you see it in the bottom part of this verse. We'll get there in a minute. He did it for three reasons. That he, he believed, and he's confident, and he feels convicted that he's right. He's right. You're wrong about this. And I'll show you. I'm going to take you to the text so you see where it is. Because this is many reasons why we can't detox situations. He's using Peter to teach us why we can't detox situations because we allow circumstances to pollute us. And when it pollutes us, we go to teaching God what we need God to do for us. And God, let me tell you what you need to do. And we pray believing that what our prayer is about is what God should do. So when God doesn't line up, guess who we met at? God. Because God didn't do what I told him to do. We do the exact same thing Peter does in this text. We do the same thing. I don't care what we want to say about Peter. We do that. We come to God and we say, God, you need to do this situation on my job. These crazy people. We talk to them. We say, all that, and God is not moving nobody. And if God, if we quit and go to another job, guess who we run into? The same scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and high priests. When that duplicates itself, God is saying, this is your trial. I don't care where you move. I'm going to recreate it because he's God. So sometimes we want to trade a church because we don't like it. And God is going to say, guess what? I'm going to show you it's you that need to change. So many times when we come to this scenario, we want to tell God how to fix it. So we just like Peter, we take him to the side. We have a quiet, quiet conversation with him in our restrooms, very holy. And we read our Bible, we turn on our music, we have our devotions, and then we want to tell God what we think. And when God don't respond, we're angry with him. Because we are not willing to learn how to detox ourselves. You could take a person to drug treatment, but if they don't do the detoxing, you can't detox them. I don't care how skilled you are. I don't care what education you got. I don't care what all the mechanisms you may have. You could take them and detox them by dragging all the drugs, taking all their blood, running it through a dialysis machine, get all the chemicals out, put the blood back into their body, and they're still going to take drugs. Because you haven't detoxed their mind. That's why he's saying this in verse 22. Peter took him. You think Jesus Christ would go, hey man, watch yourself. Don't be touching me. Jesus don't do that. That's the humility of Jesus. Jesus kind of goes right with him. Right with him. And just walks right with him. He don't say anything. He don't fight with him. Jesus Christ walks with him. That's why, man, I had a good prayer time. I felt the spirit of God with me. He's not going to go against that. He's glad that we want to talk. So he's not going to fight that. He goes with it. Why? Gee, Peter's not going to change his mind. Look at this. And Peter took him aside. <laughs> Watch his words carefully. And began to rebuke him. Now we got a story. Now we got a story. Now, why does Peter rebuke him? You got to go to Mark. 
chapter 10 to learn why Peter's rebuking him. Peter is rebuking him. Peter's saying, I rebuke you. In other words, I want you. Oh, you got to see this. You got to see this in the Greek text. He's saying, he's saying, listen, I so disagree with you. I pray that God would have mercy on your soul and not kill you for this information. That's literally what Peter is saying. Peter is talking to Jesus and saying, God needs to have compassion on you. Because what you're saying is so evil, he could kill you for this. They're not the ones going to kill you. He will. Why? Peter is in the Old Testament. He is in Deuteronomy. If you obey God, you're what? Blessed. If you disobey God, what you are? Cursed. So Jesus Christ, if you're going to disobey God, Deuteronomy 28 says, you will be cursed. So God, have compassion on him. Have mercy on him because he is going to the wrong direction. So I need to rebuke him to get him back right. Why is he doing this? Okay, there's two reasons why. <laughs> Glad you asked. One, Peter is a Bible student. He's a Bible student. He's read Daniel and Ezekiel. And they're talking about the coming kingdom of God. And they're talking about it in the sense that when the Romans are in place, the Romans will crush his feet and all this stuff. Well, who's in place right now? The Romans. So when he is reading Daniel, guess what? Daniel, based on Daniel, you're supposed to rise up now. The Romans are here and crush them because Daniel has put all these nations succinctly in the book of Daniel of who will rise up, who will come down, who will rise up, who will come down. And guess what? Who's arising now? Romans! And you came! So you are the Messiah! You take over! Stop this dead thing. He is reading the Bible. He's not not reading it. He is. So Peter in his mind, after reading his Bible and doing his Bible study, says, I need to correct you because you're the one wrong. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John and the two disciples, two sons of Zebedee, came said to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. There you go. Remember? We take Jesus Christ aside, we have this prayer meeting, and we want to tell him what we want. And if he doesn't give us what we want, we get detox, polluted by the circumstances that we face. Because now we're mad at God, he ain't doing what we ask. So they pull him to the side, and they said, in verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want to do for you? What do you want, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? What do you want? I love Christ, man. He's such a servant. He leads, but he's a servant. All right, come on, tell me what you want, man. It's okay. Like he don't know. Look at verse 37. They said to him, grant that we, that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Well, just carefully. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? You're asking me, you, you're literally asking to go on the cross. What you're asking, you don't know you're asking. What you're actually asking is to go to the cross with me, die on the cross with me, be raised from the grave like me, so that you could then sit on the right hand of the Father like I am. And you are not asking things that make sense. In other words, we ask something from God, but we don't know what we're asking. And that's why we're mad at God when he doesn't answer. 
like I'm on the beach, right, with my grandkids, seven of them on the beach. Papa, let's go, let's go out and dive and stuff. I'm thinking, no, this ain't no swimming pool. In my head, I'm thinking, this is not a swimming pool. This thing got currents, riptides, all this other stuff, and I can't rescue seven. There's no way. I don't care. I was a lifeguard when I was in college, but I can't rescue seven. So I'm sitting back thinking, no, I'm the worst grandfather ever because I said no. But Papa, we could swim. This is not a swimming pool. Papa, you don't understand. We could hit the waves. We could jump up, go through the waves, come back up. We get more fun when the waves are bigger out there. I said, I pulled them to the side. I said, babies, listen, there are rip currents. Rip currents? Papa, we, we, we just want to swim. I said, okay, too deep a conversation. You're going to stay with this beach at waist high for the tallest kid. That's as far as you're going. It got to the point where there's no point explaining because they don't understand. We, got, we want not just to hear God's word, we want God to make it make sense. And God is saying, I can't make it make sense. Because you can't understand if I made it try to make it make sense. Satan in heaven, with all my glory before him, still didn't get it. So how am I going to get you to get all of it? So sometimes you just have to say, I take the toxic situation the way you did it, rather than pull me to the side to get me to tell you what it's all about, fix it for you, or believe in what you say. So that's why sometimes he says, you got to stay sober because you got to stay in it because I can't explain it the way you want it because if I explain it, you don't get it. I just complicated it for you. Watch it carefully. So they, see, they, they had... They had a different situation here where they were reading their Bible and they're thinking, man, we get to sit on the left or the right. This is what they're talking about. We're going to run in here on a donkey. Think about it, man. We're coming in on a donkey. Could you imagine they got the donkey? Think about it for these disciples. Be human for a minute. For disciples, they're running into Jerusalem with on a donkey and people are putting palm leaves down saying, here come the king. Here comes Hosanna. Here come the king. Yeah, this is it, man. This is it. We're going to run this thing. We ain't got to deal with Roman taxation no more. We got to deal with Roman oppression no more. We got to deal with nothing but we, and we are the ones who are going to sit, reestablish the Davidic kingdom. I'm going to be on the left. You're going to be on the right. Come on, man. The sons of Zebedee are going to take this thing over. <laughs> you see, the reason why they can't get it, it wasn't because they didn't read the Bible, because they misinterpreted it. And instead of listening to the teacher, they wanted to teach the teacher. <laughs> let, me, let me work this one for a minute. Some of us read the Bible, and we become good Bible students. I, I'm not knocking anybody. It's just things God teaches me and still teaching me. I study, I don't know how many hours in a week. But I'm always thinking I'm leaving out something. The most scary time of my week is doing K at CB because I know there's some things I'm going to ask I don't know. So why? Number one, I'm, I'm not God. So the fundamental principle is if you're not God, you don't know everything. Yeah, he's the only one that knows everything. So sometimes when people say, oh, you just go and answer those questions. No, I'm praying my heart out. 
I'm counting on a verse. The verse says, I will bring to your remembrance what you would know, which means I got to go study. So he brings it back to my remembrance. In other words, he's not bringing it and putting it in my memory. He's bringing it back <laughs> from what I forgot. Okay? So if I don't study, he ain't going to bring it back. So he's counting on me studying to show yourself approved, the work but not ashamed. So there's a lot of studying that goes on. I can never look at the clock working here. By the time I finish studying, it's 40 hours. So at the end of the day, you study. So sometimes when you study, we become the worst people. Because when God has to correct us, we're not willing to be like the Berean Christians and figure out, is he right or not? We just automatically want to fight him. We're not willing to sit back and say, you know what? Okay, you know what? Just let me check out Pastor Cannons and see if what he's saying is right there in that Bible. Let me just see who else you listen to is a Bible teacher. Is he teaching right? Because if I don't know the truth, I don't ignite the spirit. The spirit is the spirit of truth. The minute it is corrupt, the spirit of God don't do nothing but convict me. He's not teaching anymore. He's convicting. So the minute I believe a lie, the spirit of God backs up. And instead of illuminating and teaching and guiding me, he's correcting me. Okay. Don't get this twisted. Like I said to Bible study folks, if you came, you would hear this. I really enjoy fried chicken. I enjoy fried chicken. I was at my sister's 70th birthday in Maryland, in Bowie, Maryland, a, two weeks, a week or so ago, and she had fried chicken. I said, I'm going to stick with my diet. But I saw that fried chicken over there, and it kept talking to me. Come ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take this yoke upon you and learn of me. I saw that fried chicken, and it was giving me all kind of great, wonderful messages that was blessing my soul. So I go over, and I grab some fried chicken. Did it taste good? Yes. Did it feel good? Yes. I was at a conference all week teaching. Got to eat, people talking to you, you know, all that stuff. I got to sit down, relax, talk with my sisters, my brothers, and just eat. Oh, man, this is great. I enjoyed it. But if I eat fried chicken every day, I'll be messed up. Because fried, okay, I don't need to go into the details. Y'all know the details. Understand, is fried chicken food? Yes. Does fried chicken fill my stomach? Yes. But if I eat fried chicken, which technically is not good for you because it's fried, by the way. <laughs> and some people, when, you, when they're black, black, like fry, fry the thing. Okay? We, we, we fry, fry it. Okay? When, when you eat this thing, it can damage your body. But it is food. Many of us, because somebody's teaching the Bible, gravitate. But it could be fried chicken. And if we eat enough of it without checking it out to see if it's the truth, we pull back the work of the Holy Spirit because now he's convicting us, trying to teach us. And then, then the same people want to argue with their preacher because they heard somebody who has a bigger church, a bigger television ministry, do telling them something, and they want to come tell the preacher what the story is. Rather than open up the scriptures and say, Jesus, teach me the truth. I'm only committed to one thing, the truth. Because the Spirit is only committed to one thing, 
truth. That's it. He is not working with nothing else. He is the spirit of truth. That's it. The church is the pillar and support of truth. The disciples had word in them. They had information in them. And they decided to teach Jesus because the future reigns with us on the right and on the left. And you are off. Fix it. They're telling the word of God to fix his word. Well, here's the second thing you find. We believe sometimes that we know so much we don't sit back and say, God, teach me. Do you know how many times I've stood here? And not until I got here, the amount of studying I've done, did I finally understand the text. You know how many times that has happened to me? <laughs> That's why you fill this time with prayer. And I know the Greek and the Hebrew, and I could, I could do the mechanics of this. But you still can't know until he said you know. Why do you know that? Because in Matthew chapter 16, watch this carefully, go back to Matthew 16, watch this carefully. They couldn't even say who Jesus is until God told them who he is. So until the word of God opens up your mind, you don't know it. None of us. None of us know it. And that's the danger of people like me. When we get all these degrees, we think we can just work it out. At the end of the day, we are the ones that sometimes create the confusion. We got people saying predestination, covenant theology, all mail, pre-trip, post-trip. We got eternal security questions. Sometimes we're the worst. Who are the worst people in this text? The scribes, the high priests, the elders, not the people. So sometimes the preachers are the worst. You have to study the text. Because until he opens up your mind to see it, you can't see it. Look at this. In chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. He, he was asking the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He didn't say Jesus, he didn't say Christ, the Son of Man. The Son born by a man. Who do they say I am? They are listening to everybody else. He says it in verse 14. He says, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. So have they been listening to other people? Yes. They are not sure from listening to everybody else. Watch this carefully. Who reveals to Peter who is standing in front of him? God. Look at this. And Simon and, and he said, he said to them, but you, who do you say that I am? Now he's triggered God to the conversation because he knew what God is going to do. So now he set the premise for God to come in. It's the introductory line to the play. He says, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, not the son of man. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal us to you, but my father who is in heaven. How does he know that? He's in heaven and on earth. Watch well, well, this carefully. Watch well, this carefully. With all the disciples there, Jesus Christ is saying, Peter, you're blessed because God just decided you would lead these men. Of all these men here, he decided you would lead them. Who's preaching at Pentecost? Peter. Who's going to get the vision to go to the Gentiles? Peter. He decided with all these elders sitting there, with all these leaders there, that Peter, you're going to lead them. 
But who was taking him to the side? Peter. Why? Because Peter felt he got, he got the information. He got the information. There's a second reason why toxic situations make us polluted. Go to James chapter 3. I want to show you these things in the text because I'm saying a lot about preachers today and I don't want you to see that I'm being partisan. So I'm going to take you to some texts. Matter of fact, before you go there, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because for some reason it keeps popping into my head over and over again and maybe God wants you to read it. So come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So I'm going to read a lot of texts so since I'm putting a lot of stuff about preachers and pastors in there so you will see how toxic situations become polluted and it becomes polluted not just because of members but also because of leaders, of people, of preachers. All these people are just as could be as toxic as ever. The disciples could be as toxic as ever. So nobody is removed from the detoxing need when they, because they choose not to be sober. We're all in it together. It's just a system that God has to make sure we get out of it. That's a system I keep mentioning from time to time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, For to us God revealed through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Who among men, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10, verse 11 now, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. No one knows. Please underline, no one knows. I'm telling God what he thinks. We don't know. God, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but a spirit, Holy Spirit, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Who's it given by? God. Which things also we speak, not in words of human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Not what? Human what? Wisdom. Why? Go to James chapter 3. You cannot use human wisdom. And in James chapter 3, he's talking to the teacher of the church who is using human wisdom to teach the people. And all that did was create a more toxic church in for James' followers. The church was toxic because the teachers were teaching human wisdom, not godly wisdom. Instead of being pastor teachers, they were being pastor preachers. You know what? I'm going to change that. They were being pastor orators. Pastor orators. Because that's what Paul would say. I come to you and I preach the cross. I can't come to you and preach human wisdom like many of the preachers are doing, but I could preach the text. There's a lot of pastor orators who use the scriptures as a diving board, and then they read from a bunch of magazines and everything else, from Facebooks and Instagram accounts. He says in, first, in James chapter 3, he says this, Who among you is wise? Speaking to teachers, actually, in this text. An understanding. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. For if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. What is Peter doing? Selfish ambition is in his heart. He's telling him, Peter, you have a self-interest. You want
want to sit on the right, you want to sit on the left, you want to have a place of authority, you want to be in a position where you get to rule with me, you want to push back these Romans right now, you want to determine the time when this is going to happen and the time when it's not going to happen. You want to decide the narrative that takes place here. Peter, you got selfish ambition. And that selfish ambition is driving your theology. That selfish ambition is driving your understanding of the text. That selfish ambition is driving you to a logical way of thinking. And it's messing you up. So when we go to God for selfish needs, God is saying we're on the wrong path. That's why it gets toxic. He says right here, selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It is earthly, natural, and it's demonic. So because you're a teacher, because you're a preacher, because you're always saying, you are excluded from this. When you start using human wisdom to communicate to people and not do your job as a pastor, teacher, walk through the text. If they don't like studying the Bible that deep, they're infants. Hebrews chapter 5 says, grow them from infancy to spiritual maturity. Because only spiritual people want solid food. Children want, he died. I got a shoe. You got a shoe. All God's children got a shoe. They want to feel something. They want to know they had a place in heaven. They want some of that. Nothing wrong with hooping, but that's all they want. Until then, we didn't have church. They literally say, we have church today. He's saying that another reason why they took him to the side is because even as teachers, they were using what was beneficial to them. In toxic situations when we are selfish, it doesn't bring about change. It makes it more toxic. It's what I want, what I believe, what I think is right, or what I think is wrong, and it just makes it more toxic. Because I'm asking God to serve what I want, and then we get the scriptures to say what we want it to say. Oh, you, you got this much Bible. Matter of fact, I never forget talking to a lawyer, and the lawyer said, I said, man, what's your, what's your, what's your trick when somebody's understand? Get them to talk a lot, unless... I want to control the narrative. But if I believe they can help my case, I let them talk. Because the more I talk, the more I have a chance to trap them. And if I could trap them, I could take that witness and move them away from that, from that uh, witness stand, from, from all those witnesses that are sitting there, uh, and all the jury that's out there, and the jury would take that witness and dump them, so they turn out to be nothing. You got this much Bible? You can find verses to support whatever you want. I've seen people who they have a, 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 a sinful lifestyle say, God love everybody, but God so loved the world. He gave his son, so God still loved me. We could find any verse. Use it for whatever want we want because we are going to God for selfish purposes. We're not going to him for his agenda for our lives. Watch this carefully. Go back to Matthew chapter 16. He says this. He rebuked him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now he's God. Peter heard from God. Now he's going to say what's going to never happen. Right, this is going to never happen. 
I said, I would never be a pastor. Guess where I is? I used to tell Tony Evans that, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be no pastor. Matter of fact, when I told him, he said, what? You want to be what? I want to be no pastor. I said, I only want, I got three sets of blood on my shoulder. And two will leave the house and get married. And I only have one on my shoulder. That's enough. I don't want to carry the blood of all these people that could join the church. <laughs> and when I go to heaven, he's going to say, Cannings, have a seat. Let's talk. Why didn't you not do this? You and I want to deal with that in heaven? I could go to heaven without a church and have a crown. I don't need a church to have a crown. <laughs> Look at verse 23. He forces Peter to realign, and Peter did. In verse 23, he says, and he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> we don't have time for this, but I, I, I got to make this one point about it. What we don't realize in this text, if you go to Luke 4, we don't have time for it. If you go to Luke 4, Peter is talking just like Satan did to Christ in Luke 4. He's talking just like Christ did in Luke 4, like Satan did in Luke 4. So the, what's, what happened is, we see that in James chapter 3, he's down to human wisdom. He has become demonic. So guess who jumps into the party? Satan. So who's now influencing Peter? Satan. You said, that can't happen. For, don't forget, Jesus Christ is yet to die and raise from the grave. So there's no permanent Holy Spirit in Peter. There's no permanent Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit came, Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's when the Spirit came. So Peter's body is an open scepter. And even when, even when people get saved in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira end up influenced by Satan. So when we start to hold to anger, it becomes what? Satan will get a foothold. So what we don't realize, that's why things in a church or in a home becomes dysfunctional and crazy because people are holding to their positions. They're going to hold to what they say. Churches split, break up, whatever, go to court, whatever. People in the world are, are fighting each other in the court, in the, in the House of Congress. they got a January 6th hearing. That's all kind of mess. There's hearings and court hearings and all these different things. Why? Satan. Satan is so destructive, everything goes a mess. Bible says, and when you go, go read in James, he says, when people are actually following wisdom, there's peace. When they're following Satan, there's dysfunction. You can't look at this country and tell me it is not being influenced by Satan. It's dysfunctional. I don't care who's what and what is who. If it is a duck, it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, and the Bible says it's a duck, it's a duck. I don't care where you land on it. I'm not loyal to no party. I'm loyal to the scriptures. Anytime you got that much mess to solve something, somebody is lying somewhere. The truth is easy. Were you in, in Bowie, Maryland? Yes. Go to the airport, you see stuff. You see a stamp stuff going on the plane. You got a witnesses sitting there, brothers and sisters. Done. Don't need a court hearing. You start lying, you got to get a court hearing. FBI, police. Lies create confusion. Truth brings harmony. Don't let people trick you with that mess. He is saying, right here, Peter, Satan has watched how selfish you've become. 
How selfish. How, how you, have, you have a selfish ambition. You let that selfish ambition corrupt your theology, corrupt how you think, corrupt what you feel you need to do. And so now you, in from, you went from truth to false doctrine in a major hurry. You went from following God to following Satan because your, your, your desire, your selfish ambition has so corrupted you that Satan has seen that and jumped into it. Why? Exactly why Satan fell from heaven. Satan is watching the glory of God, the majesty of God. He sees himself as powerful. He could, he could move things. Watch, you, you can see Satan powerfully doing things with Job. He could send a tornado, tear down a house, decide who he kills, decide who he not kill. He could, he could sit there and put a disease in somebody's body. Satan watches himself and says, man, I'm a powerful man. I got this. The same mindset he goes to Eve with. You could be just like God. Peter is going, God just spoke to me. I could be just like you. So therefore, you, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And I'm going to tell you where we're going with this. He says, Peter, you have selfish ambition. And when you do, Satan so corrupts that, that you end up being speaking with his voice. So that's why he says, get behind me. Same rebuke he gave to Satan in Luke chapter 4. The same thing he gave to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You went from being a rock <laughs> to being a block. <laughs> you know, you went from being somebody that could make a difference in your marriage, in your, in your job, in your church, to being something that is a speed bump that everybody just keeps bumping over. I like the illustration that I steal from Pierre. I steal it from Pierre. You know, it's nice to have a son you can steal something from. I steal it from him. He says, you know, sometimes you go to park your car and they block off the street. So when you go to park your car, they got these things in the way, right? When they got these things in the way, you can't get your car down the street because they have these blocks in the way to stop you from going in. So that stops you. That's what Christ is saying. I'm human like you, Peter. You think I want this beating? I don't want it. I don't want this beating. I don't want to go through what God put me through before the cross. I'm going to go to the garden and send me and pray for it. So don't be tempting me right now. You are trying to stop me from going down the street. Because I'm a human being. I'm susceptible to the same false doctrine that you got. And because I love you, Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Because I love you. I could easily drive with you. I could even play this politics with you. Because I like you. You like me. We get along. We go along the way. Peter, you are the one that walk on water. And I got you. You always think, Peter, we've been close, man. We've been sleeping together, moving together for three years. But even though we're close and we're friends... Because you're talking like this, I could jump to your side and I can't. So stop being a block. Keep being a stone. Sometimes we, I like the way a psychologist put it. I had come to the church one time. I'm going to bring him back. Psychologist, got a degree in psychology and a seminary degree. He matches those two things together powerfully. He does. He said, every plant has some sucker plants. If you look at a shark, he has little fish 
swimming in the, under this belly. You got to learn how to get rid of the sucker plants or you don't grow as a plant. Some of us don't know how to get rid of sucker plants. Now, Peter is willing to get behind Christ because so he's able to stay in the party. But if you can't get a person to get behind Christ, <laughs> you're going to stay toxic. You're going to get toxic if you keep listening to them. You got to know who to put behind you. He didn't say get rid of them. He didn't say that. Peter, I still want you to follow me because there's hope in you. There's hope in you. So Peter, I still want you to follow me. There's hope. But some people, like Judas, go do what you got to do. That's why he says this. Look at this. You're not setting your minds on God's interests. You're not setting your mind on God. That's how a person gets realigned. A person gets realigned that so because no matter what, they got to come back to getting sober by realigning with the Word of God. If a person can't realign with the Word of God, the Bible is saying the best way to detox is to put them behind you. He didn't say get rid of them. He says put them behind you because they will determine if they're going to come from behind you to beside you. They're going to determine that. But as far as you're concerned, you are staying sober. As far as you're concerned, you are doing what God tells you to do. You are doing what God has called you to do. What the Word of God says you do, you're doing it. They can decide if they're going to walk behind you to come beside you, but you never turn around to walk with them. Or you become polluted. And you become toxic. You have a high toxicity level that can make you follow Satan. Okay, folks. I want you to follow me with this. This is very important. Jesus Christ loves us. He understands because of his Is alone. The first thing you have to recognize is that toxic situations many times when you choose to do things God's way could be very lonely. But when you're in God's will and you stay focused in God's will, he will give you the results that you want. How do I know that? Peter went so far to say, I don't know this man. He followed him, but I don't know this man. I don't know this man. But he kept following Christ. So Christ could come to him because he stayed behind him. Peter, do you love me? You see, we have to be the anchor that kills the toxicity. We can't ask everybody to go, oh, I so agree with you. Oh, this is so wonderful. This is so great. No, 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 no. That's why sometimes you're alone. But if you stay the course and keep doing what God tells you to do, 
you become the answer to the situation. And we want everybody, because of a democratic society, everybody to be popular about the decision we make. It's not being popular, it's being right with God. Let him do the rest. So that this same Peter, because he stayed behind him, because he got him back to being focused on the God's interests, could preach at Pentecost. And he could be the leader of the apostles. Yes, people. Toxic situations can detox. But many times he would say in a home, if I could just get one person to live sanctified, 1 Corinthians 7, I could save the home. So somebody has to decide to stand alone and keep their minds in God. Walk in God. He says, I control the results. You just stay focused. And that's why he created church with the gift of encouragement, the gift of help, the gift of wisdom, the gift of service. Why is he doing that? Because when we're alone, we got a family that is on the same mind, committed to the same purpose, willing to help us, to walk with us, to strengthen us, to do the things of God. That's why he created church for you. So that you're never alone humanly, and you're never alone spiritually. So you can detox. Let us stand.